and welcome to Mouthwash, TBD Conference's podcast with me, Paul Armstrong, creator and curator of TBD Conference and founder of Emerging Technology Advisory here forth. My guest today is none other than Jeremy White, Wired Magazine's executive editor. Tech Bible and powerhouse, Wired covers the inventions, innovations and businesses building and shaping the future. From wearables to smart fridges, architecture to autonomous cars, Jeremy knows good design and what consumers want. But has that changed during the pandemic? Jeremy and I discuss what makes good tech and what's coming next. Enjoy the show. It's fair to say that Jeremy likes a bit of navy. He's always wearing it. And uh, per his Instagram, he is happy to be the sheriff, his words, of the tech bible, Wired. As executive editor, Jeremy oversees a large swathe of the editorial. Uh, He really focuses on the gear and buying guides. He's also a big fan of watches and writes the Wired's luxury specials. So God only knows what the swanky home he must have after testing all of that. Previously with the Financial Times and Esquire, Jeremy knows the big players in the tech world and isn't afraid to cry bullshit every so often. I hope one of those times is now. Welcome to Mouse Ross, Jeremy. It is great to have you. Hello, Paul. It's great to be here. Thanks for asking me. No worries. It's a Friday night and I thought, oh, we'd love to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The last time I think I saw you, we were parting ways in an airport after a very uh, rough flight, after I'd just been very insolent to the folks at Skype and uh, I think it was BMW uh, asking them some very tough questions in front of people. But uh, but hey, we will talk about that another time. But um, I wanted to start um, on that. But oh, before um, I go on, uh, Mouthwash isn't just me chatting with Jeremy. I want you to um, have your say as well. So please do ask your questions. If you uh, hashtag Mouthwash show or one word i will do my best to get them in and um, who knows jeremy might even go through and answer them afterwards if he's that nicer guy i'm pretty sure he is um okie doke so uh hashtag mouthwash show if you want to ask a question um all right where to begin uh let's start with what was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning well to be honest with you actually i had one of those terrible mornings this morning where i woke up thinking it was the weekend already and then had that horrible nightmare of when you realize it's not the weekend And then the next thought running through my mind was the fact that Wired um, is, and Condé Nast in general, is going through a period at the moment of uh, switching its entire sort of digital offering. So we're switching from the current, uh, you know, website platforms that we're all on and used to and have been for years at Wired onto uh, what they're using in America and American Wired too. And it is a something of a nightmare. And so I do wake up going, oh, my God, how difficult it's going to be today. And the day they decided to do this was on uh, Apple Spring Loaded Day. So that's when we switched, which was the worst possible day we possibly could have done. And we're dealing with the ramifications for the rest of the week. So it is it is occupying my every waking thought at the moment, sadly. We might come on to, who knows, we might talk about Apple later, you never know. We might yeah, I, I'm um, guessing we might. Yeah, you never know. Um, so it's been a rough year for most people. Um, let, let's start with the media industry. I think um, it's fair to say the pandemic hasn't necessarily been the kindest to print publications. Uh, I don't think Condé's in mind anything near a pandemic, but how's it been for you lot? Well, it's been tough for Condé Nast and it's been tough for um, media in general. Um, It's not been good. The one thing um, I can say is that strangely um, for Wired, we had uh, a a situation where it was was, it was different to the rest of the publications, really, in Condé Nast. Because we cover science and because we cover politics and because we cover technology, and innovation in those spaces, we suddenly found our our, um, our our wings. Really, we were doing very well. We were the, we're the widest, the largest website at Condé Nast UK. Anyway, most people don't know that, but we 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 doubled our audience online during uh, the pandemic uh, because we had this wave of people wanting to find out what was taking place, where the innovation, what was happening with the what was happening with the um, the the vaccinations and what was happening with uh, the guidelines, the, 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 the political guidelines as well. Mm-hmm. And all of that information is on Wired and was on Wired and continually updated. So we suddenly found this whole new audience uh, that stayed with us, actually, for the entirety of the, uh, uh, the dark months. And um, you expect some sort of drop-off, but we're really pleased to say that 
a good portion of them are stuck with us. So we've we've um, we've had a big jump in our air traffic and revenue as a result. Now, obviously, that's not the case for other titles. You know, when when uh, it's um, you know you're concentrating on lifestyle titles and there's a certain certain things that they concentrate on as far as that as far as that goes and that went out the window for many people for months on end and we were more concerned with our survival and what was going to happen um but wired was able to actually be there and cover that and um not only did we do incredibly well it was a fantastically uh it sounds fantastically um uh, an interesting time to be on Wired. And I've been there eight years, and it's been the most interesting time I've been there. I, I bet that's true for a lot of companies at the moment, even though it's been tough for a lot of people. I, I definitely think it's been the most interesting for a lot. Um, what did change over the last 12 months? Are there any learnings that you think will stick going forward? Change in what respect? In what areas do you think? Well, um, real for one, I think I, I'm, I'm wondering if people were searching for different things that have sort of like made you think rethink coverage or, you know, you've maybe done some research during that time. Anything really? Yeah, I mean, editorially, um, we the, the change has been taking place before the pandemic. And it's um, I think it's accelerated change like it has done in so many different areas. But uh, basically what's happened is that is that. We, you know, like we, it's you need to be more serious. Um, the general uh, ethos of Wired when I started eight years ago was very much complete optimism of technology is great and it's here to make your life better and it's going to be brilliant and the future's going to be fantastic. And that's not the case anymore. It's not certainly the case that we think that's so unequivocally. And um, it's a situation where Wired has had to adjust that view. Now we're not as negative as as many other people may be towards technology, but there's certainly been over the last couple of years uh, a, a cause to adjust that tone and that message where technology is great, yes, and it is it can provide astonishing things still, but it's part of a problem as well as part of a solution, and that's. Um, that's a, uh, a, a a change in the message, but an important one, I think. And that's certainly where Wired's gone in the last couple of years. And that's accelerated, actually, during this time period and everything we've seen in the last 12 months. Mm, no, definitely. Before we go forward, I want to I just ask a question um, about the past, if that makes sense. Um, I remember reading Wired many, many moons ago in America when I was, young, uh, when I was younger. Um, and when I saw it transfer over to the iPad app and Apple magazines came out, or I can't remember what they call it, iMagazines or whatever, um, it, it felt really revolutionary and that we were on the cusp of something really interesting where like a physical and virtual sort of really sort of came together. I'd, I, I love holding a physical magazine, but it felt like a decent sort of halfway house but they never took off um do you think they could nowadays now that you know uh, you've got the super duper chips you've got you know more uh, ipads in hands than ever and that's thing or do you think they're just too expensive to make like that anymore i think what happened was that uh, because something was the similar shape to a magazine that people assumed that you would consume a title in exactly the same way that you would on an, an ipad as you would on a print production and then they assumed that because it could have multimedia then it should be a multimedia platform and therefore it's production or broadcast medium um and it's neither of those really and um and to, to, to be frank, what happened to the iPad editions at Condé Nast actually uh, were, you know, and everywhere else. I mean, there were a number of iPad only titles launched, I remember, including that one by Branson. And um, they just never took off. And we just didn't get the numbers, even for an audience like Wired. We just didn't get the numbers that you wanted to, in order to make it financially viable for the long term. And it's a shame, as you say, because the people who got it loved it and the, the the people that really really sort of engaged with it in a digital manner um were whole were were you know were, were very were vocal about how much they liked it um i think one of the things that we did was uh which was a waste of time we did a kindle edition which was that was a waste of time and we shouldn't have wasted efforts and and resource doing that because that the numbers really weren't there for that 
but we did have a lot of complaints when we dropped the iPad edition and um, and we, it, we mourned it because it was a loved product that we produced. Now, whether that can be something that um, that we can come back to uh, as we go forward, I'm not so sure because obviously the although the processing power of these devices has changed, they're, you know what they are and their form factor hasn't. And so this obsession with uh, because it's it is book shaped or magazine shaped um, that you need to be you need to be making a magazine in this format. Um, I'm I'm not so sure. Um, interestingly, I think the iPad works far better in terms of comics and the comic medium and the graphic novels medium as opposed to magazines. Um, yeah. But it, it's one of those ones where. It's you think, well, what can we do? You know, it, it's it, it's finding that balance of whether it actually works on that platform or not and whether actually people want to read it in that manner. It seems to be that, we, you know, people want to read digital content on websites on, you know, on their phones or on their tablets. Yeah. And it, you don't need to rep you. That's enough. You don't need to replicate the magazine on your tablet when you can look at the website on your tablet. I think I don't. I think they give a different experience. And they allow you to do different things and just sort of go deeper into stories rather than down rabbit warrens. But I think for me, the interesting sort of bit, which you know, and I, the reason why I don't think they're going to happen is simply because of Apple, um, Apple News, and, and plus, and they seem to be going down various ecosystems and wanting to make gajillions of pounds sort of that way. But. Um, mm. Very, very uh, interesting. Right. Okay. Let's um, let's talk about the future, uh, and that's a bit of the industry. Where are we with consumer tech? Give us a quick overview. Um, you know, chip shortages, wearables, health, all of that sort of thing. Where, where's your head at, at the moment? Okay, that's a huge question. Um, it's, I mean, we're at an enormous stage at the moment where where it's all really about uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and where that goes into different parts of consumer technology and how that actually changes what our relationship with consumer technology. That's where really the crux of the matter is. Um, we're at the, uh, we're at the, 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 ver the point where smart home technology is just about viable. I mean, it wasn't before people think we've had this for a long time. It's not because the technology, the protocols, the languages that these devices talk to each other in your home, um, were completely different. They were foreign languages to each other and they couldn't speak to each other. That's why you needed a different router for your for your Hue lighting system and a different router for your Sonos system and a different router for everything else um, because they couldn't talk to each other. And, and companies wouldn't talk to each other either and wouldn't establish a common language for these devices. And uh, then you had to run away these consortiums, like the Open Internet Consortium, the All Seen Alliance, when you had these different companies banded together and say, no, our way is better. And always better, and you ended up having this five-way fight, which was a version of a five-way version of uh, VHS versus Betamax, or Blu-ray DVD versus HD DVD, and it just wasn't there; it wasn't working. Only not um, last year, but obviously 2019, did we finally get a consensus uh, with the Zigbee Alliance when everyone would work together. And you've got Apple in there, and you've got Samsung in there, and this has only just happened. And of course, you can't count last year because everything stopped. So we've really got only now to a point where in the smart home space, you've got everybody using devices or building devices that have compatible language to talk to each other. And that's why you couldn't have a smart home, a proper smart home. So it's, it's like Model T Ford country. So even though we were promised this and we were actually told we already had this, we haven't. And now we're going to start to see this coming through. And this is because, obviously, of um, being able to, you know, shoehorn machine learning into a cheaper and cheaper cost into everything we can possibly think of. And so you've got that taking place. You've got, um, you know, the wearable space, whereas everyone's everyone's diving into into health because obviously that's where the big money growth is in those, in those markets. And they're not just doing it for the sheer love of it. They they know that that's where the 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 the, the, the the consumer growth is and therefore the money is and you can sell products in that space and then of course the most uh, then you've got this shift right now to um electric vehicles as well where um that is wasn't the case even a few years ago and that, like now we've got a situation where the government is going to ban the sale of fossil fuel cars of any kind in the next sort of decade and and now we are a situation where we've got the technology, but again, it's Model T Ford, and that's a better, a better analogy, really, in that space. But 
and no one knows really where the lithium is going to come from for the amount of electric cars that Elon Musk, for example, is, says we're going to be making in the next 10 years. Because the projections say that we, won't, we don't produce anywhere near enough. We need to be producing five times more than, than we're actually mining at the moment. And um, that's just not possible with what we've got and the money that's going into it. So we're running ahead in all sorts of areas of technology at the moment. And even in terms of AI and ethics, like this, you know, we're, the capability of these uh, devices uh, are astronomical when you think of what was available beforehand. But we're moving so quickly the ethical arguments are are far behind. And um, if you just look at what happened in the drone space, mm. uh, you know, the drone space, by the time the American government worked out that drones were a problem, the FAA had no idea how to police them because everyone already had them. And then they started to, it took years for them to bring in some sort of regulation. And then the regulation they brought in was that, okay, everyone over 16 who has a drone over a certain size has to register it. And of course, you know, there's so many loopholes there, and then that well, that didn't work either. Yeah. So we are at a stage right now where consumer technology is just, you know, rampantly running ahead, and uh, the regulatory, regulatory and legislative bodies are desperately trying to catch up. Yeah. It's an exciting time to be in in, in uh, consumer tech because it's changing radically, and everything that was used to cost loads of money doesn't cost money anymore. You can buy a pair of wireless noise cancelling bluetooth uh earphones uh for 30 quid mm. and uh, and they're not good but you can get them and uh, that's unbelievable when that sort of technology even a few even two three years ago would mean you were spending over 200 pounds yeah, I'm really excited for the battery space. I think that's got a lot of promise. I'm always reading, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in the science behind batteries and where they're sort of coming from, certainly in emerging markets as well, where lithium just, they're just not going to get it, you know, and that sort of thing. So it's going to be an interesting one for that. Yeah. Um, I totally take your point about machine learning and that it is definitely running. I'm I'm very interested in the ethics of that. And we're going to speak with um, Tracy uh, around the future of that uh, later on in the series. But um, give me an idea of... Um, how we've done over the pandemic have we just filled our homes with more of the same sort of laziness tech or have you seen different habits and sort of search requests on on wired well what people were searching for mostly originally were funnily enough were, was education tech ed, ed tech and it was it's a massively under um, resourced and under invested in area of consumer tech like people just didn't did weren't interested they thought there was no money in it and all of a sudden, we had to homeschool our children. And uh, the means to do that was so poor uh, that um, it's sudden now there's considerable investment in it because people realize that there's a, there's a space there that it can go into. So we saw a lot of that. We saw a lot of um, people buying things to, to, about home entertainment, uh, uh, obviously. Um, and then um, the, it, what the, you didn't see this rampant rush towards um, e-commerce. Um, and that really, but then that really did start to change as the year went on. Um, e-commerce, um, e what was interesting about that is the, is that e-commerce, let me put this this way. Um, in the UK, uh, if you exclude groceries, as you, as you should do if you look at e-commerce, um, E-commerce grew, uh, was around, actually, was around about 35%. And between, it, 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 during the pandemic, over from sort of April, May onwards, it reached to a high of 60%. And then it has settled back down to about 45%. So that's 10 percentage points growth, or three to five years growth in two quarters, that's an enormous shift towards e-commerce during the pandemic, and which, which again, has not gone away. They just settled at 45, so 45%. So what's happened during the pandemic is that we have got used to buying stuff online wholesale. And I'm not talking about groceries. I'm talking about everything else. I'm not talking about petrol or anything like that. That has to be taken out of the equation as well. But everything else, it's gone up amazingly and stayed there. And it won't be long before we tip over into 
e-commerce being more than 50%. And at that point, do we stop calling it e-commerce or having to denote the fact that we're talking about e-commerce and we just call it commerce? And then we have to denote the fact that we're talking about traditional retail or physical commerce when we're talking about that side, because that is, that is now the, uh, the minority part of the, of the equation. That's what's happened. And it's really interesting. Amen to that. E-commerce just bugs me. It's all just money, isn't it? At the end of the day, it doesn't really super matter where it comes from or why we have to have names for everything. Um, but maybe that's just some old and crotchy at the moment. Um, tell me about um, CES, which is kind of like the de facto place to go uh, to find out what's coming uh, in the future and that sort of stuff. It's normally in, uh, for British people, it's the size of pretty much 2XL. And that's just for one show. Um, and in America, Las Vegas, that's all you need to know about that. Huge stuff that they do. Um, it was virtual this year and it was very different um, from when I've been physically. And um, I'm not sure if it was better or worse. It was just a bit rough around the edges, I think. But it was much more, much easier to sort of pick tech up. Um, given sort of where we are uh, at the moment and sort of what you guys do, which is pretty much review tech and sort of, you know, see things, um, has it damaged the industry at all not having CES? I don't know. I don't think it's so at all. I think, I, but personally, I think you know, I, it's an interesting thing. I think CES is increasingly less relevant, even though it's it's still the largest trade show in the world of any trade, as far mm -hmm. as I'm aware. Um, but it's just increasingly less relevant. You can't find anything particularly interesting there as you did, you know, nine, ten years ago. And I've been going longer than that. Also, I thought. For, for, for the trade show that was for electronics, consumer electronics, the, um, the, the, I thought the, the online version of CES was so, so poor. Can I swear on this, Paul, or is it not allowed? No, it's before the watershed. But um, it, it, it was absolutely arse. It really was. There was, it was. it was a really, from CES, I expected so much more. It, it was a terrible, terrible show. Mm. Um, and you couldn't find anything online. It was it was a, a real, in my opinion, a lesson of how not to do a massive trade show in the digital era. And it's like, you guys have no idea how to do this. And they really cobbled it together. And they had a long time, actually, yeah. when you thought about it, to actually prepare themselves. And, and they did the very least they could possibly do. I thought it was a shit show. I really did. And the and, you know, they and they should be ashamed of themselves. And but the thing was, it, you know, we, and it it was terrible. So no one really got anything out of it from you know wide's point of view, sort of like finding interesting things. We could, but it didn't really change things. And I just think that massive trade show is too big. It remind, you know, I, I think of, every time I go there, I think of what they had to do to E three years ago, where they where they cut it down and they said like, this has to be smaller. It's got too large, and CES has got too large. It is a money making machine to try and rinse the consumer technology industry of, of, of as much money they can get, and they do make an enormous amount of money, and and. It's a successful trade show. You have to pat them on the back for that. Is it a good trade show for delegates, for people like you and me and people going around and trying to find things and talk to people? No, it's too big. And you've got to go from one end of the strip to the other. It takes hours. Yeah. It is, and it's just, the logistics are a nightmare. And the only thing people really enjoy is the nightlife while they're there, to be honest with you. And uh, it's, 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 it used to be the case that you would go to consumer electronics show and then you would get this view of where consumer tech was going to be going for the next one or two years. And now you just don't get that because you already know, you know, like it's like with everything coming out online first, most of the stuff you see at, at CES is stuff that you've seen you, that you know is already out. And, and if they do reveal something, they'll say something along the lines, oh, yeah, so this is going to come out in the next sort of 18 months or so. So, well, why bother showing it then? There's nothing we can do with this now. And, uh, and then there's lots and lots of vaporware, which is never going to appear um, in the given to get the light of day either. Mm. And so with CES, it's what I thought, I actually was optimistic for a digital CES thing. Ah, this is going to be good. They're going to curate it. They're going to be forced to curate it a bit. And I've always thought that the Innovation Awards was a really nice curation of cool products they do there of, at CES. That's great. But I thought, oh, they're going to curate it more and do some stuff like Petcom does when they're there. 
and um, and no, it was a it was a big disappointment, and I don't think uh, people uh, missed it. And it's telling that a number of major electronic consumer companies like Samsung in the UK a few years ago stopped doing trips to CES. Yeah, I, I think you, I, I definitely think the virtual one was a missed opportunity because they could have made it so much slicker and just easier to navigate. But I, I just wanted to see more what what they thought was coming, not necessarily just 12, 12 months, but sort of beyond and that sort of stuff. And they're always talking a good game about environmentalism, but I never sort of see it. Um, on that on that point, segues himself. Um, sustainability it's um, a big issue for a lot of industries at now, but never more than tech. How much editorial headspace do you guys give um, about how something, how green something is before it's um, reviewed and, and put in the pages? Not enough is the short answer. I mean, we need to be giving it far more headspace than we actually are. It's it, it's in our mindset now to to ask these questions, and if something is overtly wasteful or uh, damaging to the environment, then that has to be now you know front and center in any review, and has to be marked down as a result of that. And there are elements to it where you where you laud devices that um, that go the other way and try to be green and try to be. Uh, we did a nice piece. Um, uh, last week on the the world's first wireless solar powered headphones go and try, go you know it's urban easter did them of all people not apple not samsung urban easter mm. have brought out the world's first solar powered wireless noise cancelling headphones and and you if you if you know a pair of headphones you would never have to charge again and they're only 160 quid and wow. so this is, a, you know, it's amazing that they can. And so that needs to get lauded. And we did a you know, piece just on their own about that saying, this is great. This is taking a problem and it's, and it's solving it in a really innovative way. And uh, they've partnered with an amazing company that, that allows them to do this and an amazing price point, too. And so that's when you can really go, you know, go to town on it. Um, we stopped at Wired covering... Um, internal combustion engine vehicles and we're starting and we're phasing out our coverage of of hybrid vehicles as well um, because our readers were telling us to do that if we covered uh, uh, like a, a the, the I remember you know, the Lamborghini Urus and things like that which is a technically but loads of innovation they're a really cool car but it's a gas guzzling car and um, the readers just don't want to read that but you and you, but you cover a, um, you know a, the amazing new volvo uh uh the you know the the xc40 which is one of my favorite you know electric cars uh and even hybrid cars as well and the, and, and it's you just see that you know the the readers are there and they and they want to read that and they'd much rather read about an electric vehicle or a hybrid a good hybrid vehicle that's not flashy and luxury over a, a luxury, you know, uh, uh, hypercar any day. So the readers are, di are directing us towards more environmental coverage as well. Um, and so we have to take, and the numbers are there, you can see. So we've got to do that. But in a, in a, the short answer is we're not paying enough attention to it. And this is from a magazine that puts, uh, um, you know, Griff Thunberg on the cover. So, you know, um, we, we're trying to do what we can. Yeah. And we're trying to address um, these issues. But when you talk about um, about consumer tech, it's very difficult to get into the weeds of where of, of, of material sourcing and provenance. Because when you're talking about rare earth materials in our phones that everyone's using right now on this, um, rare earth materials in, in laptops and you know, uh, um, Apple makes a great deal of the fact that now the, the entirety of their aluminium is is recycled, but there are other elements in the devices that um, that that are are nowhere near as green, nowhere near. And um, you, you know, you have to work out when you can start sort of highlighting these points because you can bang that drum so much because there's so much that's wrong with um with with uh, with uh, product uh, design that could be more could be more eco um so you don't want to make people um sort of tin eared to it and say and just start to ignore it because you go on it too much but 
we need to be doing more. Hey, I like that people are holding you to account, though, and asking you for more environmental stuff. I think that's a, that's a positive for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, possibly a bit heavy for a Friday, but how do we get consumers to pick more technology that is sustainably sourced? If, if, if it's not the norm yet, how do we get more people asking those questions? Well, it's price. Um, it, you know, it always is. Mm. Money is king. And uh, what you, you don't need to make it cheaper, but you need to make it you need to not you need to not charge the consumer for making an ecological choice mm. so if if it's the same price for a, for an ecological product then people will go for the eco product and it's, there's been lots and everyone knows that there's been lots of data about how um the, how uh, the younger generation gen z and so on like you know this is it's a larger part of their buying decision whether it's in ecologically sound or provenance is there for uh, even in the luxury space, in fact, actually, yeah, um, you know, that's been it's, that the data is there and it's proven to that. But price is always king. If something's cheap, people will go for it, and that's why I was so impressed by those Urbanista solar headphones. Is because they you you could have charged more for that, because they you know you really could have got away with charging more than that. But they didn't want to. They wanted to bring it in at a price because they modelled it on an existing um, uh, uh, model of their headphones, the Miami headphones they had. So they tweaked those, added in the solar power and brought them in at only, I think, something like 10 or 15 pounds more than the Miami version of their headphones. That's how you get people to engage with eco products. You don't punish them financially for making that choice. You make the choice easy for them. Mm. You make it sort of like, you know, it's the same money. And this is equally ecologically sound. If you give them that choice, they'll go for it. That price point is absolutely insane, considering the technology that they're pushing in there. And essentially, you know, once that battery is out, it's out, depending on how long it's built in for it to last. But that's that's an incredibly interesting innovation that they've done there. And I wouldn't definitely have not expected that from Urban Easters, especially when you look at the other end of the spectrum. And you've got Apple, which has been panned for their actual quality of those headphones, but they are beautiful. That brings me on to a thought. How much does design have an impact on getting uh, consumers to sort of buy more sustainably? Well, it's, it has a huge impact. I mean, I just don't think, I think design, I think you just can't get, a, get away with bad design anyway these days. It, like, it's just not possible. You can, it, the only thing that trumps everything is price. If something's dirt cheap, people will still buy it anyway, even if it tends to look hideous and it only lasts a few months. Mm. But if you, if, you know, th that Venn diagram of, of quality uh design and performance you know, that should that you know that used to be the, the the yardstick for what what would be the 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 top echelons of products and you know that they've got all those three together but i don't think that's the case anymore so many people have got really good design so many people have got good performance in their product and uh it, it's just not the case you should you should be expecting uh, good design, really good design and good uh, performance and quality of build as well of all the products you buy, even if they're low to mid price. That's, you know, we should we deserve that and we should be getting that anyway. And with the, with the Apple headphones, that was a, that was a I wonder what lessons they took from that, really, because, you know, we didn't like them. I panned them. And um, and uh, gave them a, a, a poor review. They were too heavy, uh, they were too expensive, and they were over-engineered. Um, and um, and then you come, and then you have you can you could get better for less, and that's something of a of a crime. You can you can charge more if you're Apple, if it's if it's the if it's the top in the market or one of the top in the market. But there are so many headphones that are better than the. Um, the AirPods Max. So it, that was a hard one to endorse. It's uh, all right. Let, let's go for it. The big one, Apple. They um, popped out a load of things this week: uh, razor thin iMacs, uh, purple iPhone, um, and these things called AirTags. Um, what else did they announce that you think is going to have an impact on us all? Well, the I mean, it's the AirTags that I think is going to have the impact on you. But and and we, and I commissioned um, a piece on Wired that we ran this week. A really good piece written by Andrew Williams, because I said to him that you know, what was really interesting was not the air tags. It's what the air tags are signaling. It's where Apple is going with the air tags. It is a whole new ecosystem. 
Air tags are not about finding your dog or finding your umbrella or finding a bag. It's nothing to do with that at all. It's just that's just what they can do now. It is the expansion of the ultra wideband U1 chip that you have in the 11, uh, iPhone 11, iPhone 12, uh, and these devices now, and in the HomePod minis. And you'll start to see these popping up everywhere. Why? Because Apple has now licensed the technology and the chipset for the U1 chip. So third-party manufacturers can put this technology in your bike or in a kettle or anywhere you like. And this technology is about GPS on a living room scale. It's about notifications where everything is to down to a few centimeters and then providing information on those devices or what you are looking at and how that will be used will be in an augmented reality world so when you're looking through google glass this is the technology that will as you look across your room it will have an overlay saying oh your phone is there oh your bag is over there and then you transpose that to the retail space so you look across a um a, a department store and go ah that's there that's there where oh, where are the where are the headphones in this particular department store? Oh, it's two floors up. And when you get closer to them, then you get an information overlay on what actually they cost and where they are and, and their specifications and reviews and so on. That is this technology. And it's nothing to do with finding a dog. And it's this is it's they're building. Apple is all about ecosystem and drawing you in and keeping you in that ecosystem. And this is their new ecosystem. It's it's very clever. And it's really good. And the reason they've opened it up to third parties is, of course, is they're right in the middle of their antitrust discussions at the moment in the United States. And it's, it does very good for them to actually let other companies play in this space on their platform. Yeah. Even though companies like Tile are very upset about it and how they do it is questionable or not, depending on your point of view. But what's interesting about AirTags is not the AirTags. It's what they're signaling towards, even the iPad. Even the iPad Pro with its new wide, super wide, extra ultra wide angle lens on the 12.9 inch version that, that copies that Facebook portal uh, ability to scan, to follow you around the room, to yeah. pan the camera. That is in, built into this as well, because that allows the iPad to scan a room and look around for these U1 chips and say, look, what's in this space? Um, and uh, so it's not just about that either, but and it's not about your phone. So when they do release these um, these uh, these glasses, Apple Glass, when it eventually comes, the ecosystem or the the foundations of it have already been laid. I'm really interested in the glasses um, that they're going to bring out. I mean, what is it? Facebook, Apple and Amazon have all announced and sort of leaking details here and there and sort of intent. Um, any idea when they're dropping those products? No idea. No idea. Give us your I mean, it's, 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 I think, a year, I think it's a few years out, really, for the glasses. Yeah. I just don't think they're ready. And with regards to the car, they're you know there's just the trouble the apple the trouble apple are finding is that is trying to get um a a manufacturer to to sign up to making it for them because it, it, you know they, they the amount of control apple will want over this it, it's not going to be an equal partnership and so no no car manufacturer really wants to be uh, just a um a, 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 a third party hardware provider mm. But that's you know, got to be VW, right? Do you think it's sorry? It's got to be VW or someone in China, surely. If it was, if if they were going to bend over. Well, I mean, they they don't need to do it with 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 them. Um, there's the root the, the 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 big money's on Magna now, and Magna makes vehicles for major car manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there are you know there are a few of these big companies that that consumers have never heard of that actually make most of the components in your cars. Um, Bosch, you wouldn't believe how many components Bosch makes in everyone's cars, for example. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's so it's about make, having the plan of being able to do that. And and Foxconn obviously uh, uh, announced they're going to be making uh, the new Fisker electric vehicles, and so they've got a very strong relationship with Apple. Um, and uh, Magna already have a relationship with Apple as well. So you've got Foxconn, Apple, and and, and Magna, and uh, other people are being involved as well. 
they, they've talked to a, a, a large number of people and trying to get a situation where where you can you can get the deal across the line is obviously proving problematic. But they'll do it, of course. Uh, someone will do it because you know it's the fear of missing out and like, oh, what if we didn't do it and we let someone else do it? Yeah. But these things are a long way off. It, the glasses are a, a, a good few years a good few years away, I think. Do you think just because it's got Apple on it that it's going to give Tesla a run for its money? Well, if they you know if they do come in with an actual car, then it, it yes it yes they will. I mean they whenever they don't enter any. They don't enter any any consumer space unless they really know what they're doing. And Apple's mo is very often come last, come best, or come late, come best. You know, and look, I mean, look at AirTags for Christ's sake. I mean, you know, a tile has been around for ten years, and here comes Apple, and everyone's going mental about. Oh, look at this! It's a tiny tracker. It's like, no, you could do that. That's been technology you could have had for de- for a decade. But because Apple is doing it, it's different. And, and you know, they've come in, and of course they come in and they're doing it with ultra-wideband. And uh, and they're not the only ones to do that either. You know, mm-hmm. other people are doing that. And so um, it's, you know, when they come with the car, yeah, of course it will, it will and it all depends on the price point and when they come in, whether it will be a, a luxury price point or whether it will be a mass market, probably be a luxury price point. And that's a, a space that they can definitely, you know, eat into. And um, but I don't think they'll have any of the kind of problems that that Tesla had when it first started and the mistakes it made. One of the examples I really makes me laugh is that when Tesla made their first electric vehicle, because they don't have a hundred years experience of making cars just like BMW has. um, Yes, they made the electric car, but they forgot things like they forgot to make the floor mats. No one thought about it. Because they're oh shit, where's the floor mats? Who, no one did it, and in, and in, and that's the situation. So they they knew they could make the electric drivetrain, and they knew they could make the battery technology, and they just thought, oh yes, well we've all had cars for so long, we know how to make it, the rest of it, and they didn't. They forgot things, and this is these are lessons to be learned that that Apple won't. Apple doesn't rehearse in public. Apple gets it right and then brings it out. I think they're an interesting company for a lot of different reasons that are, are happening at the moment. I'm very, I, I know a few people who work in there, as I'm sure you know, hundreds and that sort of stuff. And they're all interesting in, in different ways and sort of, you know, different things are said and not said and sort of it's how it's said. But I, I did like the way that they were demonstrating that they were thinking a little bit more, like you say, using their ecosystem with the 4K TV um, and use of the mobile app to make it even more perfect for people with vision and that sort of stuff and that that to me sort of just, it shows a little bit that they're growing up and sort of coming back to where they sort of were with people and that sort of thing not just making it for the elites and that sort of stuff um but yeah i've, I've got some hope but i've also got some concerns with them but I, I love them as a company um all right enough apple um what trends are you seeing in the consumer goods for the next 24 months is china going to nobble anyone is trying trying to go to nobble all of us uh, give us some hope um no, I don't. I don't think so. Um, the con- uh, consumer goods, well, consumer tech for the, the next twenty-four months, we're gonna. It's going to be um, loads more smart home stuff uh, with technology embedded. You know, it won't. And uh, you'll you'll see that you'll move you'll move from the space where, for example, it'll we'll look back on the days where our smart speakers were were individual devices. You got like, oh, you actually had a. You had something. You had a device that had Alexa in, or had Google in, or Google Assistant, or Siri in, and it's like it, they, they will be built in. You know, they're already starting to be built into your homes or built into other devices, and so it's the idea of. So we're moving away from that first tranche of smart homes. So that will that will be happening. Whether we will get to eight K in television, you know, like the television markets are like they're desperate to move on. It, the the set, people will remember though the problems with 4K TV and the fact that there was no content for such a long period of time. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, why should I bother upgrading? I'm not really interested in having the television upgrade my 4K content to 8K. If there's 8K content, then then you know then the the people will will follow it. I'm sure. Um, and you know we'll. That's something that we'll have to wait and see. 5G, 
again, the same problems with 4G. People were sold. People were sold so heavily on 4G, and so little was delivered for years after it, it came out. But we might see 5G worth really going in for you know in two years' time, and so and there'd be enough coverage. I have a 5G phone, and I barely ever see the uh, the 5G um, symbol flicker on or not. And if it does come on, then you watch your battery get drained as well. So the, the, like the, yes, it's, it's possible we have 5G, but it's certainly not right yet. It's certainly not proper. And, um, and then you get to start to see this move towards you know, edge computing and people using that and the idea that um, you know, with lower latency that you, know, you can start doing remote operations using a 5G network and things like that because the latency is so low. But again, whether we'll actually see that in two years, I don't know. But what strikes me about all this is that I remember I went over to South Korea eight, seven years ago, and I was out on the street and I was walking around getting 200 megabytes a second download on the phone back then, seven years ago. And we were so far behind here and we're still so far behind here as well. And this idea that we're sort of like going, oh, we're going to have 5G now. It's sort of like, oh, my God. You know, the, 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 we, we don't, I, I, you know, I don't even think we even get proper 4G really most of the time. So it's, it's, it's whether we can get the consumers to, to buy into that reality or not. And um, there is, so we've got a, a lot of upgrades coming. And then you've got um, possibly, you know, the, possibly the, there are a lot of people working on, on, on augmented reality. We've got, is it, is it the last throws for virtual reality? I, you know, I would, I, I was speaking to somebody and they were musing the fact that if this, if the latest Oculus doesn't really sell, will Facebook call it a day? Because they're not selling. It's not breaking out of the game space and it's not big in the game space either. So it was two billion he paid for Oculus, uh, Zuckerberg. And you've got to ask what sort of investment that's been. I know they're trying to sell it in the military and, and, um, and in, in industrial spaces and for training and for firefighting and oil rig. But um, it's, can we get this, you know, this uh, virtuality into the, properly into the consumer space? Not sure they are they do, managing to do that. I'm not quite sure they will manage to do that. Our augmented reality, that's a different kettle of fish. And far, far more likely. I don't think Facebook's doing a good job on its tech in general. They they haven't sort of matched up the sort of PR with their sort of persona non grata in the in the public with their intent. Their technology's somewhat decent. You know, Portal did all right and that sort of Portal's stuff. good, yeah. yeah. I've 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 used one myself. My parents loved it and that sort of stuff. We used it all through the um the pandemic without just you know projecting. I've had a good experience. Everyone will have a good experience. Portal isn't perfect and that sort of stuff for a lot of different people. But their technology and their sort of progress. I'm I'm interested in to move fast and break things in that sort of sense for that sort of stuff. Less about our discourse and that sort of thing, which we talked about earlier with different people. But um yeah, I've I've got a lot of hope that VR does succeed because I think it's got a lot of promise for um, rehabilitation and lots of different areas. But um, I, 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 I have a lot of interest in where the AR goes, not just because of the glasses and, you know, everyone wants to be Tony Stark and all of that sort of stuff, but um, of the ability to then sort of change things and get more data and make better decisions just to general people. I think that's a really interesting sort of space to think about as we sort of progress. Um, and I hope they are here in the next 24 months, but I'm, I'm also not necessarily optimistic for that one. Um, we are coming to almost the end and um part of it is desert island tweets of mouthwash the part where we um pick a tweet or two that's changed jeremy jeremy's mind on a uh, way of thinking in some way um turn your attention to the nest so nip back up to the top and i will share a tweet which jeremy is then going to talk about it will come up in a couple of seconds for some of you it'll come up a little bit later um for others but um it's virtual astro so tell us tell us why you picked that i couldn't pick the whole um uh, no one, the one. virtual astro um, is a guy called Adrian West, and he's a passionate uh, astronomer. Um, I don't even know if he's uh, uh, a professional. I think he's a really um, a sort of enthusiastic and gifted amateur, but he has an enormous Twitter following. I think it's 250,000 or something like that. 
um, and it's not boring astronomy it's it's he he brings it to life and it's really really interesting he, all sorts of areas of interest like like me you know you were brought up in star trek star wars and you're interested in space um this is the kind of stuff that you want to be looking at it's beautiful imagery be- really cool ideas and stories about what's happening in space like we've got this uh, tweet there about the places we call home um but what is wonderful about it is that adrian um also manages to do uh, this is very embarrassing to admit but he tracks um meteor showers and uh and uh, the, the movements of the satellites and the constellations as they come over and one of the my favorite things that he does and he lets people know when they're going over um he one of the favorite things he does is that he lets you know when the international space station is is going over and he'll give you uh, if you follow the channel the twitter channel it, it gives you like 10 minute and 3 minute warnings and 30 second warnings and i've gone outside with uh, on my own let alone with my 6 year old son who thinks it's just magical and but i've gone out i go out on my own and watch the space station go over it is worth it just for that it is awe inspiring and and uh, emotional to watch our endeavor and our exploration just go overhead at thousands of miles an hour um, and then see uh, it there before your eyes and passing. And you know it's people are on that that large dot of light as it uh, zooms, it zips over the sky, it moves very, very quickly. And um, it's everything you want from space in, in not in a boring and a fussy way. And you get to find out go outside and watch the International Space Station go over. I love it. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Mouthwash and the next season over at mouthwashshow.com. Mouthwash is recorded live on Twitter Spaces before becoming the podcast you've been listening to. Thanks to Ecology for planting a tree for every listener and Shell for sponsoring the show. Let me know if you're enjoying Mouthwash so far by leaving us a rating and a review. Remember to subscribe to Mouthwash wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes featuring activists, AI experts, Silicon Valley royalty, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists and a whole lot more besides. See you next time and remember, always start or end your day with a little mouthwash.